Welcome to a special two-part episode of the CNR Sports Armchair Interviews. My guest is Jay Hook. Welcome, Jay. Thank you, Colin. Uh, you pitched in the major leagues from 1957 to 1964 with the Cincinnati Reds, starting in 1962 with the New York Mets. You were a star at Northwestern in both basketball and baseball. Jay made his major league debut on September the 3rd, 1957 against the St. Louis Cardinals, less than a month after being signed, not spending a single day in the minor leagues. This was due to a clause being in place at the time, which is unofficially known as the bonus baby rule. <laughs> he also had the distinction of being the starting pitcher for the New York Mets when they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates 9-1 to to record the franchise's first ever win. In that game, he went nine innings, surrendering five hits, one run, and issuing one walk. He also drove in two of the team's runs. After retiring following the 1965 season, you started working in the automotive industry, first for Chrysler and eventually the Masco Corporation before running several of your own companies as a high-level executive. He retired from full-time work in 1992. Welcome to the show, Jay. Let's get started. <laughs> yeah. Nice to know you, and I know you've known our family for a long time. That is quite the career you had, had Jay. Um, We'll, we'll get into it, but I want to ask you this question first. Um, when did you first start playing baseball, and what is your earliest baseball memory? Well, my father had a drugstore in a little town, kind of like Dexter, only smaller. And uh, we lived about a block away from the drugstore. And, and when I was about four years old, my father would get me outside to play catch or to bat or whatever. And one day we're, we're, uh, he was pitching to me when I was about four years old and a, a coach from one of the colleges in Illinois stopped by and he said, and my dad's name was Cecil. He said, Cecil, you should make that kid bat left-handed because it's two steps closer to first base. And even though I was right-handed, <laughs> from that day on, Colin, I batted left-handed all through high school, college, professional ball <laughs> and oh. but i did golf right-handed <laughs> you did throw right-handed that that's that's pretty right amazing <laughs> right um as as mentioned previously <clears throat> in the intro uh you played both basketball and baseball at northwestern what's it like uh to play sports in college and <clears throat> did being did playing basketball help you with baseball at all well, I think I think the thing that probably helped me was was the coordination and the flexibility and all that kind of thing. But I actually basketball paid my way through college. I have a Zada basketball scholarship, and I just played baseball along with. I didn't get any support from baseball, but I ended up playing professional baseball later. But one quick story in basketball. Do you remember the the name Wilt Chamberlain? Yes, I remember Wilt. Uh, well, when Wilt was in his first game of college at the University of Kansas, 
we went out to play them. And I was one of the starters on the team. I was a guard or forward. And I was about 6'1", or 6'2", maybe. And Wilt was, I think, 7'1". And that was his, like his first game in college. And, and he was quite thin then. He bulked up when he got in the pros. But when he was in college, he was quite thin. And he could run like the wind. And, and we went in at the end of the game. At the end of the game, they were winning. He scored 52 points against us, I think. But, but they were winning. And, and we went into a, what's called a zone press. And that was to put one person in each quadrant of the floor and one person chases the ball. <clears throat> well, I was the guy chasing the ball. <clears throat> and they, they brought Chamberlain up to half court. They threw him the ball and he was holding it in one hand, like right at about eye level or shoulder level. And I, I was gonna jump and I could jump pretty well, but I was gonna jump and try to knock it out of his hand. And he didn't throw it, he didn't move. All he did was raise his arm up tall. I hit him right in the bicep. <laughs> At that point, I learned, Dolan, that there were a lot of people that were better players than I was. <laughs> wow, that, that's amazing. You hear all these stories about Wilt, but to hear from someone who actually played against him, you know, it's pretty incredible. Um, I mentioned in the introduction uh, that you were considered a bonus baby when you signed uh, with Cincinnati. Can you explain what that means to our listeners who may not be familiar with the term? Sure. Uh, at, at that point in time, if you received a bonus of more than 25000 you had to go right in the major leagues. Well, I was offered a bonus and... <laughs> And it was higher than 25,000. And this would have been in 1957, maybe 58, 57, probably. And, and uh, I was offered that bonus. And, and as I was leaving, my dad came down to Cincinnati after I'd been down there. And because I was too young to sign the contract. So he had to sign along with me. And... <laughs> They, they, they had in the contract, at that time, the minimum salary in the major leagues was 7,000 a year. That was the minimum salary in the major leagues. And they had, it was a three-year contract or two, year, two or three years. And so 21,000 of that bonus was my salary ahead of time, you know. Yeah. And, and when I look at what the, what's happening today, I think the minimum salary in the major leagues right now is seven hundred thousand, and so it's it's my timing was not good, Colin. I should I was I was too too early in the, in the for making money in baseball. So it's funny you mentioned the the that rule. Um, just for our listeners out there. Some other notable bonus babies include the legendary Sandy Koufax of the Dodgers and, of course, Al Kaline here at the Tigers, for those of you who may be from or listening in the state of Michigan, Al Kaline was considered a bonus baby. Um, just to what? tie in that, Colin, just tie in that just a bit. Uh, they came to my hometown, and I signed that contract, and my dad signed the contract. And then the next week, I had to go right into the major leagues. 
And so I, I met up with the team. And when you said that my first game I pitched was in St. Louis, I've been, been along with the team for about a week and a half. And I went in in relief and pitched, and I had to pitch to Stan Musial. <laughs> oh, man. So, it, uh, you know, it, it was a new experience. But at the end of that season, the last game of the season was in Milwaukee. And, and our, our manager, Bertie Tebbets, used, he said, okay, kid, I'm starting you in the last game of the season. And it was against the, the Milwaukee Braves, and they had clinched the pennant. That was Hank Aaron, Eddie Matthews, all those great players. Yeah. Well, I, so I, and I was, I had that summer, I had played winter or uh, summer ball in, in Milwaukee. I'd worked for a company and, and played ball at night for a liquor distributorship. And so I'd been playing ball in Milwaukee all summer, but not at the stadium, <laughs> at just other parks. And as so all of my friends that I'd played with came to that game and, and I pitched five innings and I came off the mound at the end of the fifth inning and Bertie said, okay, kid, uh, <laughs> you've, you've done five innings. You haven't given up a hit yet. I'm taking you out because you're too young to pitch a no hitter. <laughs> oh, you're too young. How, how old were you at the time? Probably 21, 20 or 21. Oh. Uh. Oh, no kidding. Um, uh, other question I wanted to ask, um, when did you realize that playing baseball professionally for, you know, the money we talk, talked about earlier, you know, with you signing the um, 20K plus uh, signing bonus, when did you realize that might be a possibility for you? Well, you know, as you go through high school and college and, you know, you look at things you do and, and, and when I, I, each summer, even though I was at Northwestern, I like, I would go someplace and get a job because I was studying engineering. And then I would, I would play for a team that was in that town. And like one, one summer I was up in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Next summer I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I would work for, for an engineering company, but then at night I would play baseball. And, and so, you know, during that whole time, I'm sure scouts would come and talk to you or, you know, you'd see other people that were playing or signed to play pro ball or, you know, and it was a big deal then because the Braves had just moved from Boston to Milwaukee. And yeah, that's right. so baseball in Southern Wisconsin was a big deal. And everyone were brave fans there. And I, although I, I lived about halfway between Chicago and Milwaukee when growing up, but you know, you, you just have a dream Colin and you think, well, is that possible? You know, probably not, but you certainly think, well, I'd be certainly open to the possibility if it ever happened. And, and some scouts were watching and, and they came and asked me if I would come out and throw at County stadium one time before I, before I had signed or anything, just to throw on the sidelines. And, and the manager, or, the, or one of the scouts, I guess it was, uh, said to me after I threw on the sidelines, would you fly back to Cincinnati with the ball club tonight? And I had a job. <laughs> I said to call my boss and say, would it be okay if I miss work tomorrow? 
to go down to Cincinnati with the with, with the Cincinnati Reds. And of course he agreed to that. Yeah, but so the next day or that night, I flew down to Cincinnati and the next day I, I went out to Crosley Field and threw batting practice to the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, they didn't hit it too well that day. And, <laughs> and of course, here, here I was a young kid, could throw hard, was probably a little wild. And, uh, you know, why, why would they want to dig in? <laughs> right, of course. That, that, that is a pretty crazy story. You, you were working one job in Wisconsin, and then all of a sudden you're throwing, uh, you're throwing batting practice to a bunch of major leaguers. <laughs> um, you know, during your time in Cincinnati, one of your legendary teammates was uh, the um, you were teammates with the guy who would eventually be inducted in Cooperstown, uh, Frank Robinson. Do you have any right. stories about the, um, being on the road with Frank or, you know, sure. Frank, Frank was a terrific player. He, he could do it all. He could feel, he could run, he could throw. And there was another guy on that team also that was very good. Veda Pinson. He was the center fielder and, and Frank played some first base, but also left field. And they were both very good players. We had a guy by the name of Ted Klazuski, uh, who was a terrific home run hitter. And so they had a very good team at that time. Wally Post, uh, you know, just it was it was a it was a very good team. In fact, they they won the pennant in 1961, I think. And uh, I was on the team then, and we played the New York Yankees in the World Series. But I didn't get to pitch in it because I had contracted the mumps of all things. And uh, so I didn't play the second half of the season very much at all because I, I used to speak at schools when they wanted somebody who would go speak and not charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, oh man, that uh, had, to, had to be a probably not fun for you just to not play every day. I know. I know guys like guys like you back then, especially, you know, you probably took pride in going out there, you know, as often as you could to try and play. I right. can't imagine what that was like. Well, it was, Colin, another interesting little story bit was that after that World Series, uh, my in-laws came down from, from Chicago and, and they took our two kids home with them. And so Joanne and I were driving home. I had a little Austin Healy, three liter then, 3,000 cc. And we were driving home and then we were in Indianapolis and I had the radio on and I heard I'd been sold to the Mets. <laughs> I didn't even know I was up for sale, <laughs> but, but we heard that we were gonna be sold to New York, so. <laughs> so, so that, just goes to show the big difference as opposed to back then you know when you have the 24 7 news sports channels and you know all the social media you know where people find out you know trades happen via social media here you were in the car and you found out via the radio that you were going to be going to be a member in the new york mets but one other right. question one other question i do have uh, about your time in Cincinnati, do you do you have any regrets, or did you enjoy your time in Cincinnati? It sounds like you certainly did. 
Yeah, we did. We we enjoyed the town of Cincinnati. We we had some good friends there. We had a there was a minister friend of ours who had gone to Garrett Seminary, which I later became chairman of the board of. But but uh, it was a it was a seminary on the Northwestern University campus, and he was a he was he had a church down in in Cincinnati. And when he knew we were coming down to Cincinnati, he called and he said, "Why don't you guys?" It's this the this is a, well, I think that was in nineteen fifty nine. And he said, why don't you just stay with our partner? We got a great big house as a parsonage. Why don't you just stay with us? And so we did. <laughs> and, and they were just wonderful people. And uh, so then they had some little boys and the boys loved to go to the ballpark with me. And, and uh, now one of them became, uh, I think, this chief financial officer of uh, uh, Target or one of the big store, store chains. But, oh, but really? they were nice people in Cincinnati was a it was a great town to play baseball in. Um, I got I got an interesting question here that um, you you played in your entire career in the National League. There was no such thing as interleague play back then. In fact, the only time that the two leagues would see each other. Um, would would be in the World Series, or if you got voted into the All Star Game, you got to uh, players got to uh, interact with their uh, um, colleagues from the American League, if you will. Are there any American League ballparks that you wish you could have played in at least once during your career? Well, I, I always thought it'd be fun to play in Yankee Stadium, but I did have the opportunity to play in Yankee Stadium. In, in 1962, I think, there was a game where the Mets played the Yankees. It was called the Mayor's Trophy Game. And, and that was when Mickey Mantle and, and uh, you know, all those guys were with the Yankees. And I was the starting pitcher. And, and our fans were, the Mets fans were terrific people. They were you know, they always had banners and they, they carried all this stuff around with them and they were always making a lot of noise and, 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 and they came to Yankee Stadium that night. I was standing out in the outfield with Whitey Ford and a couple other guys and they said, we've never heard so much noise in our stadium. <laughs> and, and anyway, about, I don't know, the second or third inning, we, I think we won the game that night, but but in the second or third inning, I was out on the mound and this bag came floating out from the upper deck and it was smoking, it was smoking. And, and there were like fireworks in it and, and there were like rocket, little rockets going off and they were shooting in different directions. And it came floating oh, down about halfway between the pitcher's mound and home plate. And, and the batter and the umpire and the catcher all ran back to the, to the wall of the stadium. And I, of course, I was on the mound. There was no place for me to go. And I didn't get hit with anything or anything. But, but I never forget that experience of standing out there watching this thing come sailing out of the upper deck. <laughs> there was probably some of our fans that did it. <laughs> oh, all those Mets fans, they, they surely... As you as you well know, they they love their team now, but I know especially 
um, for various reasons. Um, they miss the Giants and the Dodgers dearly. So um, I know. <laughs> so it was. I I bet you even you were surprised by how enthusiastic the fans were. Um, there we we I think we we had uh, I can't remember the numbers now. Uh, but we we drew almost as many people to the old polo grounds and had the worst team ever in baseball as the Yankees did that year when they won the pennant again at Yankee Stadium. I think we drew almost the same number. We were a little shorter from what they were, but it, I couldn't get over how many people came to the games. That That's all amazing. Considering the fact uh, that uh, Yankee Stadium was just across the river from the old polo grounds, and of course, uh, um, people who who know this stuff, um, of course, the uh, baseball giants played there before moving uh, west to California to join uh, their uh, compatriots, if you will, in Brooklyn, um, therefore creating the need for what eventually became the uh, Mets. Right, right. I wanted to ask you an interesting question. Um, how important is it in your estimation between uh, the chemistry between a, a pitcher and uh, the catcher he's throwing to? I think it's, 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 you know, you have to have respect for the pitches that are being called. And, and, you know, I don't know how they do it now, whether the coaches are calling pitches or the catchers themselves are calling pitches. I don't know that. But back then, it was pretty much the catchers calling the pitches. And, and, and they, they would study the batters, and we would talk about the batters before the game and, you know, what they might be, some, the way you like to pitch them or whatever, and the coaches would have input then. But, but it... The, the catchers that I experienced with were, were good guys. You know, they could, they cared about the game. They cared about the pitchers. They cared about what the pitches were. And most of the time they called what you thought you probably wanted to throw. You could shake them off if you wanted to. Right. And then it would change the change it. But it, um, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a good relationship. I think most of the time. Um, Another interesting question I, I have. Um, what was the best overall game you were a part of during your career? It doesn't have to be like the best overall game you were a part of during your career because you, you obviously pitched a long time and you probably have seen a lot of good games over the years. I've seen a lot of good games and a lot of bad ones too. <laughs> but... But I guess probably the, my, my most memorable game is, is the first Mets win. We had lost nine games, and the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, had won 10, I think, in a row. If, if they won the next game, they would have broken the record for most wins at the start of a season. If we'd have lost the next game, we'd have lost the most that had ever been lost in the first the start of the season. Oh yeah. So it was a big deal, but it, you know, looking back on it, I've, I've had an awful lot of questions about that over the years is what, what game and, and it has to be, <clears throat> excuse me, it has to be the first Mets win. 
Oh yeah, for sure. It like I said, like I said in the introduction, yeah. Um, you know, team scored nine runs. You're responsible for two of them. And I was looking at the box <laughs> score, and I'm like, I'm like, oh my. I'll talk about pitchers who, you know, help their own cause. Um, you know, I can tell you a fun story about that 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 incident you just mentioned. Not the game, but getting a hit in that game. Because in spring training, we had a coach by the name of Rogers Hornsby. And most people wouldn't remember Rogers Hornsby probably, but he was one of the best hitters ever in baseball. I think he, he probably maybe is right behind Ty Cobb or someone. And he was one of our coaches. And he and when I went to spring training, I thought, you know, I'm going to ask him to help me with my hitting. So after every practice, we'd go in the batting cage and, and he would come in there with me and, and give me coaching on how to be a better hitter, how to drag bunt, how to, because I could run pretty well, how to drag bunt so I could get base hits, drag bunting, and, and just how to hit. And I batted left-handed. And he said, that's great for drag bunting, but, you know, he really helped me a lot with my hitting. And I, I think I tied with Robin Roberts or somebody for one of the best hitting pitchers in the National League, I think, that first year with the Mets. Wow. Uh, Robin, Robin Roberts is certainly no slouch. A guy played for a number of years with Philadelphia. And, you know, it's people think hitting is, is easy, but it's, it's not, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, well, you get a good look at some of the best, best pitchers in the, <laughs> the league because I don't know, the first time I ever batted against Sandy Koufax, he was a left-handed pitcher and I batted left-handed. And the first pitch he threw me was a, a, a two-seam fastball. It sunk and it came in over the plate. And the next pitch he threw me was a four-seam fastball, and that kind of rose up and hopped. And, and the next pitch he threw me was a curveball that started, I thought, was going to be over my head. But it not only could curve over the plate, it curved down into the strike zone. <laughs> I had never seen a curveball quite like that one. You know, there's a famous quote out there from the uh, famous Pittsburgh Pirate uh, player, uh, uh, Willie Stargell, I think he said. So, somebody asked him once what it was like to face Koufax, and I think he, his response was he quit uh, uh, comfortable 0 for 4. <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> um, Good quote. But uh, anyway... Anna, thanks for joining this, uh, joining me on the show, Jay. Here for part, for part one. Um, be sure to join us next week on the CNR Sports Armchair Interviews, um, where we discuss more of that legendary victory um, in 1962 over uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, as well as uh, more tales from the Mets' early years. And thoughts on such men as the legendary uh, Casey Stengel and uh, Gil Hodges. And we'll, we'll touch on a few other topics as well. 